today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Likewise, husbands, show honor to the woman so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, when you use your power to coerce, you might be able to, to manipulate or control your wife to get what you want from her, but your prayers are gonna be hindered and you're gonna lose God's blessing and that's far more devastating. Friday, and thanks for joining us today on Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. As always, I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. Okay, get ready. Today's teaching is pretty deep. We're tackling an often misunderstood passage of Scripture about the different roles for husbands and wives. I think we'd all agree that God has a reason for the way He set things up, and it reflects His enduring and beautiful purpose for marriage. Are you in need of some encouragement in your relationship? Then you've come to the right place. We are diving into 1 Peter to discover the timeless truth with a teaching Pastor J.D. called Submission, Training for Exiles. Let's jump in. First one, chapter three. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. No, no, okay? Do not reach for that remote to turn me off. Hear me out, okay? The most overlooked word in this whole passage is the first word, likewise. Likewise means in the same way. Remember, this is the third of three relationships that Peter is using to illustrate a principle. How should a stranger and exile respond to difficult relationships or unjust treatment? Remember, our identity in 1 Peter is strangers and exiles. How does a stranger and exile respond to difficulty in relationships and even um, unjust treatment in those relationships? The previous two relationships um, that he used that we've already looked at uh, were submitting to an imperfect and sometimes unjust government. That was chapter two, verses 13 through 17. And then secondly, being under the control of an unjust master. That's the last part of chapter two. Um, these are all just applications of the principle the principle is what is important because it's gonna apply to any relationship. Our example in all of these relationships, Peter says, is Christ. In any relationship where you are experiencing hardship or suffering or injustice, Peter says, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Okay, this passage, what it says is that Christ did three things in the face of injustice Number one, he was patient. He understood suffering was an integral part of God's plan of salvation. To follow in Jesus' steps means that you should expect unjust suffering. Number two, number two, this passage at the end of chapter two shows us that he committed himself to him who judges justly. That's verse 23. He knew that earthly justice may never come, but he knew that God would give full justice to him in his heavenly country, and, and he, he was willing to, to, to be patient and wait for that. Number three, this passage tells us that Jesus kept doing good. That's verse 23. Even when he was being slandered, even when others wronged him, he kept doing the right thing, knowing that in all situations, he would respond first and foremost to God and that God would, would vindicate him one day, okay? All right, that's your, that's your example. We've applied it to government. We've applied it to, to, to unjust masters. Now, let's apply that mentality to marriage. I'm right, back to chapter three, verse one. 
Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, hold on. You're like, that's a jarring statement to, to modern ears, right? I mean, you're like, is that where we're going today? More on that in a couple minutes. Okay, but let's keep reading. Um, and you were her children if you do good and you do not fear anything that is frightening. Ladies, the question for you is going to be, how do you submit to your husband in a Christ-like way? By the way, foremost in Peter's mind is a wife with an unsaved husband because that was really common in the early church. Uh, a lot of ladies would get saved and their husbands um, did not. Many of the, the earliest uh, church converts were, uh, were women. And um, so they had this question of how do, you, how do you live with a spouse that doesn't share some of your deepest convictions? That's why he says that those who do not obey your husbands or your wife, if it's an unbelieving wife, they'll be one without a word through your conduct. Right? But even if you're both Christians, surely all of us, you still got moments of frustration where your spouse lets you down, even just flat out wrongs you. So the question for, for you in that moment is how do you respond in a marriage relationship like that? How do you respond like Christ in that moment? All right? Verse seven, and likewise, husbands, in the same way, husbands, man, there's going to be an application for you here also. Right? You should live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the, the weaker vessel. Now, that's another phrase that sounds pretty strange to, to modern ears, right? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, you should do this, he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, the question for you is gonna be, what does it mean to show honor to your wife in a Christ-like way? Okay, so let's talk about three ways, Peter tells you in these seven verses, three ways you are to honor your spouse after the example of Christ. Number one, you're gonna use your power to bless and serve, not manipulate or control. Peter points in this passage to different powers that both men and women have in the relationship, and he shows you what to do with it if you're following the example of Christ. All right, so we'll start with men. Men, of course, usually have physical power in the relationship. They're typically bigger and stronger. I think that's primarily what Peter means in verse seven when he calls the, the wife the weaker vessel. Also, I would add, in Rome, weaker probably meant weaker in her power in the marriage. Marriage law in Rome was way better for men than it was for, for women. Uh, men, for example, could have affairs. Um, we're almost expected to. Uh, the wife, she could be killed if she had an affair. Men could divorce their wives for pretty much any reason. But wives, for the most part, could not divorce their husbands for any reason. And divorces always favored the man. The money was his, the kids remained his. Many divorced women um, in those days had to resort to prostitution. It was a horribly unjust system, but the point is that she was a weaker vessel legally. She's also weaker in the sense that, that, that the New Testament gives to the husband in a Christian marriage. It gives the husband the position of leadership in the home. Uh, she is told to submit. A, a wife is told to submit to the husband in a way that, that he is not told to uh, submit to her. That's not a bad thing, of course. It's a, a beautiful Christ-like thing, but, but it makes her positionally weaker. 
Um, so physical weakness, legal weakness, positional. Some commentators also say that his reference to her being weaker might be a, a general reference to the fact that God has endowed many women with an emotional sensitivity that makes them more nurturing and compassionate, the, the mothering instinct. But Peter's point is that none of these aspects of weakness, if they're true, is gonna make her inferior in the relationship. That's what Peter means when he says to, 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 to the husband, she is an heir with you in the grace of life, an heir alongside of you in Christ. She is your full equal, not behind you. She's right there with you. And Peter's point to the, to, to, to the man is whatever power you have in the relationship ought to be used, leveraged to honor her and serve her, not, not exploit her. You need to live with her in an understanding way. If she is emotionally wired differently than you, well, don't despise that. Seek to understand her, learn her love language, uh, love her on her terms. It reminded me of what um, one of the a marriage counselor that my wife and I, Veronica and I saw early on in our marriage who, who told me, he said, you need, you need to become a student of your wife to live with her in an understanding way and, and, and love her on her terms and not just in ways that are convenient for, for you. You should use any position of strength or power to serve her, to honor her, to, to pursue meeting her needs because, right? I mean, that's, that's what Christ did with his strength. Let me tell you something that is absolutely wicked. When a man uses his physical power to dominate his wife, even worse is when he uses the Christian idea of submission in marriage to, to dominate her. That's not what Christ did with his power, is it? Christ used his power to serve. Christ laid down his life. It's like C.S. Lewis uh, used to say, the crown that a man wears in a marriage is first one of thorns. That means I use the leadership that I have. I use whatever position of strength that I have to serve her. Practically, that means as, as the leader of the family, I should voluntarily lose 90% of the disagreements that we have, right? I mean, I don't pull out the submission card to get her to do what I what I want to do. Uh, a man's leadership in the marriage, we say, is never a license to do what he wants to do. A man's leadership is empowerment to do what he ought to do. I know this is a difficult subject, and some of you wonder exactly what that looks like. I heard a great um, story. Uh, Tim Keller uh, is a pastor in New York City, his wife, Kathy Keller. Um, before he was in New York City, they were in Hopewell, Virginia, and this opportunity came up to go to New York City, and they were praying about what they should do, and after praying about it for a while, Tim and Kathy, um, she said, we came down on different sides. Tim felt like they should go and Kathy felt like they should stay. And, and they talked for hours and just could not come to resolution. So finally, Tim said, okay, all right, I'll, we'll do what you want. We'll stay here. And Kathy said, I look back at Tim and I said, oh, no, you don't. You are not putting this one on me. God gave you a vote in this marriage. He gave me a vote and then he gave you the deciding vote. And you've got to decide what you think God is saying to our family. That's the kind of, of leadership. That's the kind of positional leadership that that the man, the husband is given in the relationship um, that Peter is talking about. He's saying, whatever you're using, whatever power, you use that to bless and to serve and to honor her, right? It's never licensed to do what you wanna do, it's empowerment to do what you ought to do. Thanks for joining us today here on Summit Life with Pastor J.D. Greer. We'll jump back into 1 Peter in just a moment. But first, it's never too early to get in the Christmas spirit. And one of my favorite Christmas traditions is sending out cards to beloved friends and family. This Christmas season, we are excited to offer our gospel partners and financial supporters a special collection of 20 exquisite holiday cards crafted just for you. And they're not just cards. 
They're messages of hope, love, and joy that you can share with anyone who holds a special place in your heart this season. We are sending these to all of our partners who donate $35 or more to this ministry. So don't wait. You can give over the phone right now at 866-335-5220 or by visiting us online at jdgreer.com. Make this Christmas season special by sharing the good news with those that you care about the most. Now let's jump back into today's teaching. Once again, here's Pastor J.D. For women, right? What kind of power do they have and how do they use that in a Christ-like way? Well, first, Peter says, he says, you've got your beauty and your sexuality. Peter indicates many women can build their identity on their beauty and their sexuality and, and even use that as a means of power. When he says in verse three, to do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, He's not saying that you can't braid your hair and you can only wear it in a messy bun. He's saying that the substance of your life should not be beauty. Listen, early on, women in our culture and back then too get taught that their value and their worth and even their power come from their beauty. They're taught by our culture that a woman with great physical beauty will have power to get what she wants and they will be greatly valued. What Peter says is no. No, what is valuable to God is Christ-like character, a calm, steadfast faith in him. Verse four, he says, but, but, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. A gentle and quiet spirit. That didn't mean being introverted and shy, like, like extroverted loud women are offensive to God. No, gentle and quiet spirit means somebody who is at peace, not trying to use her position to manipulate and control, but someone who is full of trust in God, that's what's precious to God, very precious to God, because that's the spirit that Jesus had. Submission with a quiet spirit was a core dimension of Jesus's character. That's more valuable to God than your beauty. And in, in tough situations, you should, like Christ, be more concerned about what God thinks than, than what you can use your power to manipulate and get for yourself. To, to, to say it very simply, the Christ-likeness of your person is more valuable to God than the stylishness of your purse. Your faith is more precious to God than your face or your figure. Submission to God is ultimately more powerful than anything beauty can procure for you. Single ladies, he is saying, your future is gonna be determined not by how beautiful you can make yourself or how you can perfectly present yourself. What you're looking for is found in the presence and the promise of your heavenly father right? Don't adorn yourself, he would say, with filtered Instagram photos. Don't make that the focus of your identity. Here's another application for Peter's words. Married ladies, it's wrong to use your sexual appeal to, to manipulate your husband to do what, what, what you want, to withhold that relationship from him until he conforms to the way that you want him to be. And he would say that's using your, your beauty or your sexuality as power, like giving him the cold shoulder, making life miserable for him until he does what you want. What Peter says, to be like Christ in your marriage, Christ-likeness means that you use your power, whatever it is, wherever you find it, to bless and to serve, never manipulate and control, right? So that raises the question, what if you're doing your part, but your spouse doesn't seem to be keeping up their end of the bargain and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, right? What if they're not even a Christian? So that leads us to number two. In all things, he says, do good, obey God, and trust him. That was the example of Christ, right? In the face of incompetence and injustice, what did Christ do? Well, we saw that at the beginning, right? He committed himself to him who judges justly, and then he kept doing good and trusting God with the results. Look at Peter's example of Sarah in, in verse five. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, 
as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. The use of Sarah as an example here is really helpful. Abraham was not a perfect man by a long shot. I know we got our songs about Father Abraham having many sons and I being one of them and so are you. But but if you read Genesis and you'll see that Abraham really blew it a, a number of times. He he led their family to places he shouldn't have led them and he made some truly boneheaded decisions. But Sarah, Peter says, stayed by him and was submitted to his leadership. Sarah was not like, look, this guy does not know what he is doing, clearly. It'd be better with me in charge. It might have been, right? But what did she do? Verse six, she did the right thing that she knew to do, which was honoring her husband's leadership and committing herself to God. And as a result, it says she didn't fear what was frightening, right? This doesn't mean, by the way, ladies, that you don't offer your opinion, even strongly at times. Any man, I will tell you, who makes decisions for his family without the counsel of his wife is a fool. Um, It means that your attitude in marriage is dominated by a calm trust in God, not a frantic manipulation to get what you want and take care of yourself because you've committed yourself to him. And let me use this moment to say, to be really clear on something so nobody's confused. Peter is not saying that spousal abuse is okay or that God wants you to stay in a a home where you're being abused and just take it like some sort of expression of Christ-likeness. Y'all, there is no passage of scripture that would encourage you to do that. If for no other reason than staying in an abusive home is enabling somebody to sin. Psalm 11 says that the Lord hates those who do violence and you should not subject yourself or your children to that. You need to protect yourself and your, your kids and, and, and help your spouse get help also. Um, now, I realize, of course, these are that's a very difficult situation. It's impossible for me to address the particulars of, of, of different situations in general ways. Regardless, to get us back to the point, Peter's point, is that in any situation you find yourself in, right, regardless of what your spouse is doing, you got to continue doing good and trusting God with the results. Nobody else's sin justifies your sin. Your husband or your wife, if they're being dumb and they're acting like an idiot, you keep obeying God and you keep trusting him. When you do that, God promises to help you just like he did Christ. Psalm 125, the Lord is good to those who walk uprightly. He is their shield and their support. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will ever be forsaken. So when in all things you you, you do good and you obey God and you trust him, God promises to be your refuge and he'll, he'll take care of you. On the flip side, Peter says, when you take matters into your own hands, you're gonna mess everything up. And then God becomes your enemy. See verse seven, likewise husbands, show honor to the woman so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, when you use your power to coerce, you might be able to to, to manipulate or control your wife to get what you want from her, but your prayers are gonna be hindered and you're gonna lose God's blessing and that's far more devastating. When you're a jerk to your wife and you're unkind and you're not not thinking about how to love and bless and take care of her and putting her needs first, God says, I literally cut off the answers to your prayer and that's not a place you wanna be on. Honor her because that's the path that provides God's protection. Listen, I've told you this before, but when you take vengeance matters into your own hands in marriage, you mess everything up. Point is you trust God, you keep doing good and you let God deal with it because God deals with it much better than you. So finally, number three, Peter teaches us that in marriage, grace is a more powerful change agent than is retribution. Now, when I say that, everybody nods their heads at this, but nobody actually believes it. But, But what scripture teaches is that in a relationship like marriage, grace changes people far more quickly than retribution can because grace changes their heart. 
Uh, Victor Hugo had that great scene at the beginning of Les Mis where, where the hardened criminal Jean Valjean has his heart transformed, not by an act of retribution, but by an act of, of grace. I remember my dad telling a story about a, a lady that he worked with who was kind of his, his, his sworn enemy. She just did not like him at all. And she said all these unkind things and even spread false rumors about him. And, and then something went wrong in her life. And my dad, who was her boss, was able to, to minister her, to help her, um, and just uh, to be there for her. And, and he said, she looked at me at one point, and she said, why are you here? I don't understand why, why with the way that I've treated you, you would be there. But it's that path of grace that opened up a relationship that ultimately led not just to a healed relationship, but to opportunities for the gospel. I heard an African-American lady um, share the story of her grandfather, the Reverend Willie Jenkins, who grew up in, in Mississippi um, under the hardship of, uh, of Jim Crow. In his later years, he worked for, for, for the integration of, of public schools. Well, because of this, some white teenagers cruised their, their neighborhood, firebombing homes, vandalizing homes. They came to the Jenkins house, she said, and and then the unexpected happened. They ran out of gas right in front of his house. Reverend Jenkins' sons were, they were ready to fight. You know, they were ready to, to defend. And they said that um, he reached down, picked up a glass bottle and busted it. You know, they were assuming he was going to fight. But then he walked over to, to the car that was out of gas and he used that busted glass to um, create a funnel and then siphoned some gas from his own car and filled the empty tank of those boys who had, had come to, to vandalize their property. Um, that act of grace, she said, changed them. It changed their relationship. It, it ultimately opened up a path of healing. They left the experience in shame, but changed by the experience. You see, that's what Peter is, is referring to, that kind of grace when he says, ladies, even when you're in the home of an unkind, even unsaved man, keep doing good. Keep responding like Christ so that, so that the unsaved husband might be won without a word by the conduct of your wife because of the grace that gives them a taste of Jesus. You're not going to change his heart by manipulating him or berating him or wearing him down. His best shot at being changed is seeing the humble, trusting Christ-like spirit at work in you. Through that, you win them. See how Peter uses that word? This is the way of Christ. And it's how he changed us, Peter says. He left us an example that we would follow in his steps. By the way, has he changed you this way? See, the, the scripture tells us that Jesus came to earth not to condemn you, but to save you. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right now, what he offers you is mercy. If you'll receive it, he died on a cross to suffer the penalty of your sin in your place. If you ignore that, then one day he will come again in judgment. But you right now could, if you choose, turn from your sin and receive his offer to be saved, to be united to him in mercy. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, receives him, will not perish but have eternal life. Do you wanna do that? Do you want to receive him? If so, I, I would just invite you to pray with me right now if you never have before, all right? Let's bow our heads. Father, you say, I know that I deserve punishment, but Jesus took it in my place. I surrender my life to you and receive your offer of forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Just like Pastor JD said, grace changes people. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to listen to any part of our series through 1 Peter that you might have missed, you can catch up free of charge at jdgreer.com. 
Now, believe it or not, Christmas is right around the corner. And this month, I'm excited to tell you about our new featured resource for all of our gospel partners and financial supporters. It's a set of gospel-centered Christmas cards. You can brighten someone's whole day with a handwritten note telling them how much they mean to you. We'd love to send you a set of these Christmas cards as our way of saying thank you for your donation of $35 or more to this ministry. To give, call us at 866-335-5220. That's 866-335-5220. Or you can always give online at jdgreer.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Get ministry updates, information about new resources, and Pastor JD's latest blog post delivered straight to your inbox. Sign up when you go to jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich, and thanks again for joining us this week. Don't miss Summit Life next time as we continue our series through 1 Peter with teaching that has a very promising title. It's called How to Experience Good Days. Do you want to experience good days? Then join us next time right here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.